You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. Yes, sir. Episode two of the Getting Swamped Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist. And a special congratulations out there to at Cornell Gator for winning the free year of the Gators Breakdown Plus membership. I randomly drew it on a Google random number generator. I did it by followers and, and Facebook. Also, Facebook likes on my page. I, I added those guys in there. So I did it right. I think I had 215 followers at the time. And I had a bunch of guys on my Facebook page. And I added them. And it, it wound up being like 230 or something like that. So I randomly put them in there with them and drew a number. 69th came up. And I, I gave some of the Facebook guys a, a number, too. I gave them a random number. I gave some of them 70, 80, 50, 10, whatever. I kind of put those in there. Randomly did it there. And then the 69th number came up. And the 69th guy was at Cornell Gator 813 So congratulations, man. Took you a while to respond to me, but you finally got back to me. So, uh, yeah, free year of Gators Breakdown Plus membership. We'll do a lot more giveaways on this podcast as well. And, uh, you know, 2022, man, National Signing Day, the the recruiting class is wrapped up. Uh, not a really exciting National Signing Day, but Early Signing Day was a lot more exciting than National Signing Day. But overall, you know, Florida, pretty good for a transition class, I would say, under Napier. I'm really curious to see what happens in 2023 and beyond, but that's why I have a great guest on today by the name of Zach Goodall, who works for Sports Illustrated. We're going to recap the 2022 and then go a little bit into the 2023. Lots and lots of talent in Florida and in the 2023 class. So Zach Goodall here. Zach, with only two months, Napier has brought in this recruiting class from 76th all the way to a 17th with transfers in the overall rankings. If you go to 24-7 sports, the overall rankings, they, they factor in transfers, so it's 17th right now. Uh, you go to about to any other side, it's probably in between like 20 or 25 or something like that, not counting the transfers. And, uh, you know, obviously, Billy Napier uh, also breaking the IMG curse here, raking in the uh, five-star Kamari Wilson, the number two safety in the class, and keeping linebacker Shamar James on board, who is a five-star per rivals, a top 250, or a top 50 on every other side. And also, Devin Moore, a guy that I think is really underrated, too. I think he should be ranked a lot higher than what he is, and he's still in the top 250, so that's great. Uh, he's keeping him away from Notre Dame. And then uh, Chris McClellan, getting him into the class, top 100 guy from Oklahoma. So Billy Napier already has shown he can compete with Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame, some of the prolific schools in, in the, the recruiting class that always get these elite recruits every year. So really good to see that on early signing day. National signing day, I know, wasn't the most exciting for a Florida Gator fan. I mean, if, if you were looking at crystal balls the night before, it would have been exciting. And then when you step into it, it's kind of a letdown a little bit. So that's why you get the initial upset Florida Gator fans out there because you get all excited and then nothing really happens and you're just like, dang. But overall, when you look at it, you know, not too bad. I mean, for a transition class, bringing it from 76th all the way to 17th and getting an IMG kid, breaking that curse there as well with Kamari Wilson. So, Zach, uh, what are your initial thoughts real quick of this recruiting class? Any positive, negative takeaways that you have? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, I'll go ahead and plug uh, SI All-Americans rankings as well. Um, they don't we don't factor transfers into it. It's just purely high school prospects. Yeah. And we only do a top 25. They fell out of the top 25 on December 1st, and there were only like two decommitments by then. And we ended up with, I don't even know the number. I mean, it felt like more than half the class. So you could yeah. only imagine on a full length, 131 FBS teams, now that there was an addition, how far they would have fallen. And now they're back up at 21. So 
you know, we're, we're big fans of what Florida was able to do in, as Napier said, a 59 day process since he was named head coach. You know, I think the biggest thing people need to think about, because I understand the disappointment, right. With national signing day, um, from a personal perspective, you know, I don't mean to toot my horn own horn too much, but I was pretty confident in them landing Kamari Wilson, Shamar James and Devin Moore on early signing day. I rode that confidence in national signing day and I bat like 0.250 uh, on my predictions for national signing day. I thought, you know, I, I didn't want to guarantee it, but I thought they had a good chance with Harold Perkins. I thought they had a good chance with Toronto citizen and so did people on the crystal ball, yeah. uh, Caleb Douglas. And then there was one more that I'm blanking on now. And they come away with one of them, a good player in Caleb Douglas, you know, no doubt. But at the same time, you get the disappointment. But uh, when you specifically look at the early signing period, right? Napier had all of two and a half weeks since he was named head coach, not his opening presser, but named head coach, opening presser, maybe like less than two weeks. Yeah. And he comes in and by our rankings on Sports Illustrated All-American, um, I'd imagine you'll like this because it includes Devin Moore, three top 50 talents in the nation. You know, Moore is our number nine corner and the number 50 player in the nation by our rankings. Uh, Kamari Wilson's the number three safety, 34 overall player. Shamar James is 37 overall, number three linebacker. We weren't around for the start of the Mullen era. We've only done class rankings and prospect rankings the last two years. So when you compare it, you have to do it with 247 composite, right? That's just how I look at it. Yeah. Mullen pulled in four top 50 players in his entire tenure as Florida's head coach. And by our rankings, Napier pulled in three in two and a half weeks. That's impressive. That's like, that's really, really good. Just in, even in a vacuum, much less when you compare it to the last head coach. Um, and you know, you would have liked to see more, right? You would have liked to see that momentum carry into national signing day at the same point, you know, there were 80, 85% of the prospects in this class ended up signing during that early signing period. They didn't really have much time to make moves on these, you know, elite prospects. Harold Perkins still considered Florida. Toronto Citizen considered Florida. Jacoby Matthews, probably not so much near the end, but considered Florida, really liked his visit. I think that with such a time crunch, you know, you have to take the positives, you have to weigh them. And I'm not really in a position to say this was a super disappointing national signing day because with that time crunch in mind and you see the positives, let it go a whole cycle before you draw these conclusions. He's got a whole year now, that being Napier and his staff, to put together a great class to focus on in-state recruiting, which again, they just didn't have many options with so many guys signed by December 15th. Give them this entire year in what's going to be a stacked state of Florida recruiting class, especially, and see what they do then. In a year from now, if it's still a bit underwhelming, then we can have the discussions that some people on Twitter have decided to have because of the results from Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, I was really upset on National Signing Day, too, but I wasn't completely upset with the overall, uh, you know, what Napier has done since he's gotten here. I mean, you, you got to think he had to hire staff while recruiting. He had to do a lot of things while he was recruiting. And obviously, mm -hmm. the staff, you know, it, it helps to have staff so they can be everywhere else where you're not at. And, you know, pulling in the guys that he did at early signing day. I know with the last staff, they wouldn't be able to do that in that amount, short amount of time. So nope. I already give Napier a heads up there. Also, the IMG thing. Never could get a kid out of IMG. Now we finally get one at IMG and Kamari Wilson in a short amount of time, too. And, you mm -hmm. know, Jacoby Matthews and Harold Perkins did have interest in Florida. They were very, very interested. And I think that recruitment of Perkins came down to the wire. You know, his mom 
wanted him to come to Florida. Obviously, his other family members were LSU people, so I'm sure it was a hard decision for Harold Perkins just to make himself. So I don't really blame Harold Perkins for even going to LSU or Florida, two great schools there anyway. Uh, you know, overall, I, I, I think that the future with Billy Napier, and obviously into 2023, I think the future in recruiting is going to improve a lot more. It's just how much will it improve? Because right now you're competing with, with Saban, Kirby, now Brian Kelly at LSU. Oh. Then you got Jimbo Fisher on a tear right now uh, with the number one overall historic recruiting class. You got to compete with him now. And then you got Mario Cristobal in, in Miami. So, you know, it's going to get a lot harder in the SEC for Billy Napier. But with all the staff hires, like 50 plus staff hires that have been announced, I don't think it's going to be as tough for Billy Napier to recruit in the state of Florida, even with Mario Cristobal coming in here. But, you know, as far as venturing out, you know, there's a lot of top 100 guys out here in the state of Georgia, Texas, in the, in the next class. We'll get into that. I think now, with all the staff hires that Billy Napier's had, it'll be a lot easier for us to get these guys that are out of state as well. So, you know, like you said, give Billy Napier a full year. And I think that this, uh, you know, this recruiting class, and I think, you know, I'll go into it after, you know, after this interview, because I, I pulled a bunch of numbers here from uh, Billy Napier's tenure at Louisiana Lafayette and how he improved recruiting there when he had started versus Florida and all that. And so I'll get into that. But there were some other lower ranked kids in the high schools and in, in, in this, you know, national signing day, Caleb Douglas was one of those Jack Pyburn, you know, you got Max Johnson, Tony Livingston, kind of a, a, a tweener there that flirted with the top 250 fell probably into like the top 300 there. We all know stars matter. I'm a huge advocate of that, but there are guys sometimes that have two or three star rankings that turn out to be NFL talents, uh, like huge college contributors as well, like your Ja'Kai Polite, Jonathan Grenard, Kadarius Tonys. So my question to you, who are some of the under-the-radar kids in this class that could that you think could be huge contributors down the road in Florida in 2023 or even 2024? Yeah, I mean, I think there's several, and there's something that, you know, maybe some people view this as less important than I do, but you have to keep in mind the entire like cycle of recruiting was thrown, you know, a wrench was thrown into it by COVID. A lot of these kids are going to, you know, emerge later in the process after a strong senior year, because it's their junior year, they just didn't get much exposure. And there were obviously, you know, way more COVID problems in terms of delaying games, canceling, postponing games throughout their junior seasons that like, you know, what, no one exactly knew who some of these players were that are coming on at a, you know, at a later time. One of those being Miguel Mitchell, the defensive back that's coming in. He, uh, he opted for Florida over Tennessee. You know, he's the MVP of the Alabama Mississippi all-star game this past year. He had a, you know, fantastic season with eight defending passes. He comes in at nearly six, one over 200 pounds. He's got a like a ready to play frame. I'm sure they're going to want to rework it from a pure height weight standpoint with a lot of length he's a player that can come in and play. And at the same time, he's coming into a position that's not necessarily been a strong one for Florida over the years. You pair that with Kamari Wilson, and you can say that Florida did a great job recruiting safety just in the past two months, right? Yeah. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and he's not you know, as lower rated as some of the other guys, but I tweeted about this yesterday. Jamari Lyons, defensive tackle prospect from Vieira, Florida. Kid is a monster. I mean, I yeah. watched his film dating back to his early junior year when he was playing a bit, even into his sophomore year. He's, he's a four-year starter on varsity for Vieira. Um, and I remember going back to the past staff because they were on him for probably two years. Kid's a beast. He is someone that I think could probably play pretty early on with the attrition that's going on at the defensive line position for Florida. I think he's versatile. He could do a couple different spots. Another kid with pretty great size, 
you know, for the position as is coming into the college as freshman. Um, he's a guy that was immensely productive, can find his way into the backfield and especially attack the passer. And that's something that Florida's needed from their defensive tackles for a while. I think, you know, Jervon Dexter's got great pass rushing potential, but when you look otherwise, Florida's not really specialized in rushing the passer from defensive tackle. It's been edge rushers right. and defensive ends. He's a guy that, you know, is another one that could probably come in and play early. Uh, David Connor, he... I think he's got work to do. You know, I think he's a project player that's got some stuff to learn with technique. But again, it's a position that Florida really struggled to recruit over the years. And you look at his frame and you look at his build, six foot, 5.25, maybe six foot, five and a half, 295 pounds. You could throw on 10 pounds onto that frame pretty easily. He's an 81 inch wingspan. You know, he's a guy that looks just walking around. You look at him and you say, that's a left tackle. There's work to be done, but again, like that, this is something that's important to the uh, Napier and his staff is that they want to find guys that they can develop based on their intangibles, you know, height, weight, verified speed. I think I've heard Billy Napier say that like five times now already in the three press conferences we've had four press conferences or however many it may be. These are, you know, the traits that they're looking for. And some of these lower rated kids, you know, maybe it was a lack of exposure. Maybe it was something else. Maybe they underperformed. I mean, Connor's a guy that's been at two different high schools in two different states in the past two years. So naturally, it's it's a bit tougher to follow. Yeah. But they carry potential. They meet the you know the thresholds that the team's looking for from an athletic and physical standpoint. And I can see a way for them to end up making an impact, maybe sooner rather than later, but one way or another down the road. Yeah, definitely, man. And, and and my guy, I watched his film, too. And Coach Hayes football, if you guys don't know who Coach Hayes is, you probably know who he is, Zach. He does a really good breakdown of all these high school kids. He's uh, lots of experience coaching kids, sent some kids to the NFL, so he knows what he's talking about. He uh, broke down Jack Pyburn's film, and this kid is ridiculously crazy. Uh, it, it, you know, I kind of did a little research on this kid, and he's actually a wrestler, too. He used to wrestle his junior year, so... You're getting a kid in here at six foot three. He's like 260, 270, can rush the passer, really good edge rushing guy. Uh, didn't really play much, you know, his freshman, sophomore year, really played more his junior and his senior year. He really capped off a really good senior year there with, a, I think, his whole career. There's 34 games, is 264 total tackles, 168 solos, 50 tackles for loss, 21 sacks, 18 quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, and one safety for his career. That's per Max Preps, though. That's, that's the stats from Max Preps there. Watched his film, man, and he looks like one of those guys. He obviously came on late, so his ranking's not going to be high. But once, you know, he got to, he got his Florida offer and got it offered from other schools, I think his rating went up from being in the thousands or probably not even that to four, the 440 range. So, like, to see, like, a spurt or even just, like, a growth spurt from a kid and, and them being on the come up before they get signed to a school, you really don't know how good that kid could have really been if he had played all four years or something like that. And you're also getting a guy with good cardiovascular f- physique as well. Cause wrestling, man, that's, that's a lot of cardio there. <laughs> like you have to be yeah. in real good cardio shape to be a wrestler. And he placed third in the state when he was uh, wrestling over there too, where he was at. So, I mean, Jack Pyburn could be my guy that might be that three-star guy that actually winds up performing maybe like a four or five star in college. We'll see. But uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, in the way that you explain Napier, how he, you know, asks for the tape, wants to get measurables, wants all this stuff. First of all, I like that, too, because it shows that the kid's interested in coming to the University of Florida to go through all of that, to do what, what Napier asks of him. That's number one. Number two is he's 
depicting whether he's going to be a good football player for the school or not. And that's what I, I think the evaluation process that Billy Napier has in and all the organizational things that he has going really could set you up for a lot of success, even with these three-star guys. You know, I mean, you, you beat out Alabama for Jalen Farmer at the last minute there, too. So, you mm-hmm. know, you're getting in these guys that are offered by other schools that other schools want. You're getting them to come to the University of Florida, and you're asking for tape measurables and all that. So I, I really feel like some of these underrated three-star guys, even like Max Johnson with a 71% completion rating. Obviously, he didn't play in the hardest division, but you still like to see that. 71% completion rating in high school, you know, through for a lot of yards. So you're getting in these these quarterbacks and these players that could be underrated. We'll see. We'll see as the 2023-2024 season goes on. Uh, but, you know, your, your initial thoughts. Uh, I, I want to get your initial thoughts because I thought about this too. You're, you know, of the football season, you know, as far as records, say 2023 Napier's first year. Would you be satisfied with, I would say, what, a 7-5, and 8-4 and four record if we had a top five class? Or would you be satisfied with maybe 10-11 and maybe a top 10 class? As in, like, this upcoming season? Yeah, so, like, um, uh, between recruiting and, and record. Well, I understand that Florida fans certainly wouldn't like to see 7-5, and five, right? I mean, this, the, the expectations. But I think they need to be, you know, they need to be reasonable. He is going to purge this roster. That process has already begun, and yeah. there's going to be more because they're over the scholarship limit now. It's just the, you know, the state of college football Post spring practice, some kids are not going to like that their role is like, you know, number three on the depth chart. They're going to leave. They're going to welcome in other transfers because the same thing is going to happen at other schools. There is a lot of work being done to the roster because it really just wasn't built that well over the last four years. And you need to keep that in mind. You know, in year one, you can't be firing a coach because he reset your roster. He's doing what needs to be done. So in 2023, you've got, you know, on top of great recruiting, ideally, You've got a team that can win football games. So with that, I mean, you know, if he goes eight and four, I think that that's a success. I think that's like the bar for success, right? And anything over that, which, you know, might happen. But if it goes over that, then great. If not, you know, eight and four, maybe seven and five, if there's a loss in there that, you know, came down to the wire, you know, whatever. The most important thing, if that is what ends up being the case, though, is like you said, at least top 10 in recruiting, right? Ideally top five maybe top seven, you know, to try and meet in the middle. Um, but you want to see the improvements there. And again, based on at least the early signing period. And then like you mentioned as well, like a Jalen Farmer committed to the former staff, got to know the new one, had a lot of late interests. You know, people may not think that Alabama was in this like seriously for Farmer till the end. Cause naturally, you know, Alabama fans will just be like, ah, oh, he wasn't a take, whatever. He officially visited Kentucky three weeks before national signing day offensive line coach at Kentucky has since gone to Alabama in the days before national signing day, they continued to recruit him. Alabama wanted him down to the wire. They lost confidence early on Wednesday morning, uh, just from what I understand. And he ended up sticking with Florida and obviously Kentucky's out of the picture at that point when they lose their offensive line coach, it was basically a Florida Alabama thing in, in Florida one out there. You pair that with the early signing day additions. You pair that with, you know, the win for Caleb Douglas, among some other guys. You know, Trevor Etienne is another one that was a big win over, you know, specifically LSU, but there were Clemson ties as well with his brother who played yep. there. These are wins that, you know, we didn't, we're not used to seeing this based on the past four years in the previous coaching staff where you were seriously like listing wins on the recruiting trail. And when you see that in two months, you know, 
I immediately think that top 10 is feasible for the 2023 class. Top five would be, you know, incredible. Yeah. But is it completely unrealistic? You know, I don't think so. If they've got this momentum and what they were able to do again, pulling top three, top 50 talents in two and a half weeks when you're totally hitting a reset button, that's nothing to, you know, forget about. That's nothing that you sleep on. It's something that could totally change Florida recruiting. Just when you look at those three additions, you know, who's to say that they can't do that again with maybe five guys this upcoming year. They've got the momentum. They've got the history now that they're capable of doing it. So I would say I'm a believer, at least at this point, that they can recruit well. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way, man. I mean, you you did pull some highly ranked kids away from these classes, but you also pulled like the lower ranked kids that, sh- you know, the other highly ranked schools that recruit on a higher level, like Alabama, Clemson, all those guys, you pulled those kids from them too. So I don't really look at, you know, even if it's four five or three stars, you got to look at who's recruiting these kids and how bad that they want them. And if you win that battle, it, it's great. I mean, I, we, we beat out Clemson for a recruit, Alabama, <laughs> I mean, LSU, you know, all the big names, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Georgia. Georgia. I mean, Georgia yeah. was in it for Shamar James. Yep. I, I, from my understanding, Georgia was a serious option to the end. Alabama was a serious option earlier in his recruitment, but I think it kind of started to die down near the end. And that's a win over Georgia. Kamari Wilson was, you know, everyone thought he was going to Georgia for like six months. And then on national signing day, everyone was shocked that he was coming to Florida. Personally, not so much. You know, when he came and did that visit and you paired, you know, all the ties, he'd done six visits to Florida. He knew Corey Raymond. He's from the state. He, it, it just seemed kind of obvious by that point. I was surprised that so many people were so baffled by that idea. At the same time, that is a win for Florida over Georgia. Shamar James, win for Florida over Georgia. So, not, again, like you said, with some of the three stars, lower four stars, Jalen Farmer, where the schools were following, such as Alabama was in it until the end, Florida wins that one. And then you've also got the star power where Florida is winning over these perennial powerhouses. Great signs. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people are, you know, Harold Perkins and Jacoby Matthews obviously didn't come to Florida, but you still got an elite linebacker. You still got an elite safety in this class anyway. So that would have just been more icing on the cake to me, if you ask me. So overall, mm-hmm. I, I mean, overall, from a from a balanced standpoint in the class, especially a transition class in two months, it's, it's a pretty good class when I look at it overall. And, uh, you know, going into 2023, you know, uh, they're uh, – state of florida kids in the state of florida there's actually 47 florida players in the top 250 20 florida players in the top 109 florida players in the five-star range the one through 32 five-star range there and we all know napier loves to run the ball he's a big advocate of running the ball he averaged 217 yards per game when he was at louisiana lafayette you don't really have to throw the ball that much when you're averaging that many yards per game um but obviously a big advocate of running the ball is the running backs there's seven running backs in the top 250 in the state of florida three in the top 100, and obviously Richard Young, the number one running back in the state of Florida. Zach, where, where do you think we should uh, pry our targets from there? Well, I'll tell you what, because Napier does like to run the ball as much as he does, I don't think we're going to go three classes in between landing a running back like we did with the last step. Oh, my God. Tell me <laughs> about this it. Is, this is a really good running back class specifically from the state of Florida. There's, you know, Richard Young is one and Cedric Baxter is not far behind him either. He's a kid that's fresh off and unofficial to Florida where he really enjoyed his time. And there's going to be a lot of other guys. I would imagine that, you know, one of the top things on their you know board of what they want to do with the 2023 class is land one of those two, one of those top two guys and maybe yep. some others as well that will emerge as the season goes on. But 
Those are two electric running back prospects in the state. Napier said it during his conference as well. You know, because 80% of guys signed during the early signing period, they didn't really get the chance to go too much in state. They had to spread out. They're yep. going to focus on being in state this year. Richard Young and Cedric Baxter are two guys at the running back position that immediately stand out. And there's going to be guys, you know, from other positions as well. Hermione McLean is an elite cornerback prospect, top three player in the nation, number one corner. And he's only played corner for two years, but like he has the look, the mold of being a ball hawking corner. And you consider the fact that he goes to Lake Gibson, right? Billy Napier and Keith Barfield Jr., the head coach down there, work together at Louisiana ties, you know, connect a little bit of dots. You got to think that Florida is going to be in this for Kamarni McLean. Again, a top three talent in the nation right now. You combine, um, that, combine that with right. uh, Corey Raymond too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, LSU has been a factor for Kamarni McLean as well. So it all, you know, everything kind of ties up there. Um, otherwise positionally, I mean, obviously it's early. I think they would want to prioritize blue chip talent on the offensive line because you know, we like the offensive linemen they brought in this year, Farmer being one and Connor being another, but they haven't landed blue chip offensive linemen. In. I mean, it's been a while. Martez Ivy. Martez Ivy might be the last one. And even though that didn't really, you know, work out as people wanted it to, like, that's you want to go in and get those guys. That's seven years ago for all you folks listening. Yeah, exactly. Um, the quarterback position, because Max Brown, again, he, you know, he's a talented kid. Um, certainly a bit of a project coming from, like you said, a, a smaller school there in Oklahoma. And he's only got two years of quarterback under his belt. So he's someone that is going to be a bit more of a long-term development guy, but you want to go in and you want to find a blue ship quarterback, right? Arch Manning. I'm not saying he's coming to Florida at all, but would Dan Mullen have flown to see Arch Manning? No, like, no, Billy Napier did that while he was still trying to put together this 2022 class that people are impressed by. And I'm sure he's talked to other quarterbacks or looked into other ones as well. You know, you've got Anthony Richardson on your roster among some other guys, but as a whole, the room still is a bit lackluster. Yeah. You want to go find your quarterback of the future, I think, in this class. You call that Arch Manning? I think he's a... Uh... I, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He, he's got every option he could possibly want, but that would be pretty cool to cover Arch Manning. Uh, at least say that much. Yeah, that's going to be a tough battle for Arch Manning. He's got offers from just about every powerhouse SEC program and, and just probably about every head coach in the nation visiting him while he's in uh, in high school there. But uh, you mentioned offensive line. There's three offensive linemen in the state of Florida in the top 250 and one in the top 100. Francis, my, well, I can't even say his name because I'm the butcher of names. But there's only, what, three offensive linemen in the top 250. So you're going to have to venture out out of state to get some uh, elite offensive linemen here. So that will be a position that, you know, obviously is going to have to require a lot of travel to get some of those elite names there. Uh, tight end, <laughs> their number one tight end, Pierce Sperlin. He's already committed to Georgia. He's oh, well, yeah, one, <laughs> one of only the top 250 tight ends in the state of Florida as well. So you're going to have to venture out to get tight ends there as well. Unless you're going to try to flip him from Georgia, you may be able to do that. You may not. I don't know. With the way that Brock Bowers is playing, you probably won't be able to because <laughs> he probably sees right. that. He's like, yeah, I'm coming to the University of Georgia to go play some football. Uh, wide receiver, five in the top 100 nationally in the state of Florida, eight in the top 250 nationally. We're going to need some wide receivers too after uh, losing what we did with Jacob Copeland and all those guys. And then, you know, obviously – you're probably going to lose Justin Shorter next year, you know, obviously as well. So you're going to really need to hit on wide receiver too if you want to get some of those elite names and those prospects out there. 
Um, but pretty much, man, just offensively, just going down the the guys in the state of Florida, you know, as I said, Billy Dapier loves to run the football. So you're going to have to travel, man. You're going to have to travel to get some of these guys, except for running back wide receiver. You're pretty good in the state of Florida. Uh, you should be able to pluck some of those wide receivers and running backs. But as far as tight end offensive line and uh, running the football, you know, blocking tight ends and blocking offensive linemen, you're going to have to venture out there a little bit. So. Zach, I got some fan questions for you here. Uh, Ryan Parker on Facebook says, who's the biggest targets for Florida in the next recruiting cycle? I think you kind of really went through that a little bit here as we discussed it. But uh, is there any other kind of names that you you can think of off the top of your head that we haven't discussed? Well, you mentioned receiver. Um, He he seems like a guy that might go out of state. You know, he has serious ties to Oklahoma and USC because of the Lincoln Riley factor. Brandon Innes is an elite talent out of American heritage, which is a school that, you know, Florida used to be able to go in and pluck kids out of left and right. If they wanted to, that would be a massive win to go in and get the number two receiver in the class from Miami, you know, put a gate at least from teams out of state, you know, Miami is going to have, you know, the ability to recruit because Mario Cristobal is good um, with that aspect of the job, at least. Um, but that being said, you know, to keep teams from out of state away from the hotbed that is South Florida, and then to be able to go in and get a guy like Brandon Innes or maybe a Santana Fleming, who I believe plays with him at American Heritage now. If not, he's also a South Florida kid as well. Yeah. There is, like you mentioned, star power at the wide receiver position in the state of Florida. You want to go and get a guy like that. Um, I'll mention tight end, you know, without knowing too many of the prospects, but, uh, we, I asked Billy Napier in his press conference about 12 personnel, you know, one running back, two tight end sets. And he said, yeah, that, you know, it's well documented that that is what they like to run. That's what Hayden Hansen was pitched on. When I talked to him after his visit, he said, yeah, like this is going to be a 12 personnel offense. And they've got some guys at tight end, some that are nicer than others. Um, Keon Zipper is getting up there and they just lost uh, Kamori Gamble to UCF. So even though they've taken two tight ends in this class, you know, I could see it being an every year thing where they try and get at least one tight end because when you're running 12 personnel, you have to have the tight ends. You've got to have the bodies. You know, some of them might be better blockers than receivers, vice versa, but they want guys that can come in and do different things at the position. And therefore they're going to be looking at that quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Richie Robinson from Facebook says, do you believe all the organizational things that Napier brings will translate onto the football field? I mean, easy, uh, easier said than done, I yeah. guess so. But at the same time, I mean, you know, he's got a track record of turning a program around. It's not yep. at all the same competition. And I understand that, but what was Louisiana football before the last four years? Right. Like, right. Could you tell me what their name was? Now suddenly Raging Cajuns is a brand in a sense. And they were consistent winners, top of their conference, recruiting, improving every single year. Yep. You know, like going up, like the ranking gets cut in half from the 120 rankings out of 130 to into the 60 range with Billy Napier in charge. I would like to think that because of everything we've seen, the early returns for Florida, and obviously what he's done at Louisiana, that things will translate to the field. I'm very curious to see schematically. And like I said, you know, he wants to run 12 personnel, but I do want to see what this offense is actually going to look like, what its tendencies are. I want to see what a Patrick Tony defense looks like. Saw some numbers on the timeline um, from sports info solutions. And it was interesting. It seems like it's not going to be something that's extremely complex. Like we're used to from the past four years. And we all know how that went. 
Um, but it seems like a defense that's just going to be – it feels like it's going to be kind of strict in the sense that it's going to be back to the basics. They're going to run the same type of, you know, four-man rushes a lot of the time, uh, five defensive backs a lot of the time, not a ton of rotations like we're used to. And I think that these are all things that Florida needed. When, when you look at their defense from the past couple of years, which has obviously been, you know, a laughingstock among the fan base, and they were just trying to be cute a lot of the time, you know, with nickel and corner blitzes, with different twists, with different stunts, with rotations at every single position, and guys can never get communication and chemistry down. I think that's going to change. And, you know, at least that's going to change in the meeting rooms and on practice fields. And because those are changes that Florida needed, and we've seen this from a Patrick Tony defense, I would you know tend to believe it will translate to the field. Yeah, no more third and Granthams and uh, false starts and and run, <laughs> running a uh, an elite running back only seven times a game. So we won't have to worry yeah. about that either. <laughs> yeah, hopefully none of that. <laughs> All right, this hey, you know what? I had to throw this one in here for you, man. And this is from your your buddy Brandon Carroll over there at SI. He says, "Does Zach think that not landing Harold Perkins overshadows the collapse of the entire Florida athletic program to the point of extinction?" He didn't think <laughs> I he didn't think I was going to read that, but I did. I, he really wanted you to read that. He told me. <laughs> oh, there you I, go. Um, listen, again, I I feel bad because I was thinking that I gave some people that I was talking to a little bit of confidence that I think there was a strong chance Harold Perkins could have been at Florida. wasn't a guarantee, but, like, I feel bad because I led some people on thinking that there was a chance there. But, Again, talk to me in 2023. There's going to be guys like Harold Perkins at the top of the class that's going to be considering Florida. And this is just my take now. I'm willing to be wrong in the future. But I think next year we're going to see some of those guys flip Florida's way. We did see it on early signing day. I think that we'll see it a bit more often, if not quite a bit more often, this upcoming year. <laughs> that happens to us all, though, man. I, 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 I thought Dan Mullen was going to be an elite coach at the University of Florida. So uh, what do I know? Right? <laughs> Fair. Fair. I mean, it does happen. And see, that's why I like you, though, is because you're willing to admit it. There's too many people that are not willing to admit that they had bad takes. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm the king of bad takes. Yeah. If you ever go in that Discord chat with the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord, they'll tell me I have bad takes all day long. And I make fun of myself, <laughs> so it, it, it all it all translates, man. But anyway. For sure. Zach, man, thanks for joining me here, man, on Getting Swamped. Second episode here. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and obviously on SportsIllustrated.com, but where other places on social media can they find you at yeah i appreciate you having me i'm excited that you know you're back on air and i'm looking forward to being here with you again uh you guys can find me on twitter at zach underscore goodall um you know i'm sure i've lost some followers recently because i had a hot take about a kid on the basketball team um but beyond that you know if you're looking for football takes if you're looking for recruiting takes i try and keep everything on there at zach underscore goodall and then like you said over at si you want to read my work as well as my teammates, uh, teammates, I've got a lot of great ones in Demetrius Harvey, Brandon Carroll, and uh, CJ Clark. You can find all of our stuff over at allgators.com. Awesome. We're not all perfect out here, too, either. So, Zach, even if you lost the following, <laughs> give Zach a second chance. He's really actually a good dude, and he knows his stuff. So, yeah, definitely, Zach. Uh, thanks for joining me, man, on the Getting Swamp podcast. Absolutely. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream, or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout-out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, 
you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Woodcarving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White and Sons Woodcarving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist. Your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, folks, that was Zach Goodall discussing in 2022 there, uh, the recruiting class, National Signing Day, recapping that here. And then some of the 2023 kids coming up, man, very, very running back heavy. In the state of Florida for the uh, 2023 class, man. Uh, if you like to run the ball, old Jabbar Jaluk there has got a plethora of running backs to choose from just in the state of Florida. And we're not even talking about nationally. So really, really good to see that. You know, you, you always want, you know, a lot of elite kids we all know come from the state of Florida. Also Georgia. There's also Texas and there's California. But most of the elite talent comes from the state of Florida and Georgia. Georgia's getting up there too now with, with the state of Florida. So, you know. I'm a stats guy. You know I'm a stat nerd. Everybody knows I'm one of the biggest stat nerds. So I, I did some research this week, man. And uh, Napier, when he went to Louisiana, I compared Louisiana Lafayette, his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette, to what he could possibly do at the University of Florida. Now, I'm not saying that this is, this is what's going to happen, but there, there is a possibility uh, with, with the way that uh, Billy Napier's approach is and his organization and all that. So at Louisiana Lafayette, Napier had the fifth-ranked recruiting class in his first year at Louisiana Lafayette, transition class was 105th nationally. He would then, and it's just in his second year, improve it by almost 40 spots nationally. He would have the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt in the 78th overall recruiting class in 2019. He would then go on to have the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt in 2020 and in 2021. His highest ranked recruiting class would come in 2021, placing 69th nationally, which is actually pretty insane just for coaching in the Sun Belt, especially with an average player ranking of 0.835. And we're going to talk about that a little bit too, average player ranking. That does matter as well. We have right now, our class is sitting at an 88.56 average player ranking, which it's not really that good to compete in the SEC. You want something in the 90s range, honestly, if you want to compete nationally with everybody and especially people in the SEC. But it's a transition class. You really didn't have that many folks to choose from. Everybody usually signs on early signing day. So Billy Napier got what he could. I mean, you got elite players like Shamar James, Kamari Wilson, Devin Moore, and and Chris McClellan, and all the other guys you could have got in here. So you, you pulled a five-star. I mean, it took Dan Mullen four years to just pull like two five-stars. So you already got one five-star in your cycle already. I'm curious to see what he can do in a full recruiting cycle. But and as we said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, Florida's ranked 17th nationally. You know, every other site has them at 20 to 25. But if Napier can keep the trend that he had going at Louisiana Lafayette, Florida could have one hell of a recruiting class next year, especially with a full year under Napier's belt. Now, the SEC is a different animal. <laughs> You're competing with established coaches like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and now a guy who's been on a tear, Jimbo Fisher. And also a coach by the name of Brian Kelly, who's entering LSU in his first year as a head coach. So, you know, just in the SEC, you're competing with some pretty big names and established names. Uh, you know, also, you know, you got to think about the state of Florida as well. You're competing with Mario Cristobal over at Miami, another established name. Coach at Oregon, coach at FIU, didn't really do, do that well at FIU when he was there, to be honest. But you're still competing with an established coach, and uh, he's been decently successful at Oregon. 
Uh, Napier's entering his fifth year in a head coaching role, though. So he's been a head coach for four years. So he knows what he's doing, too, and he knows what it, it takes to win in the SEC because he's been an assistant in the SEC at Clemson, Alabama, all these other top brand schools when Alabama was completely dominating. And now it's kind of the tables have turned with Jimbo Fisher and Kirby there a little bit. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, he's shown a winning mentality. Very organized, prepared approach to player development and recruiting. It's something we've been missing a long time here at the University of Florida, let's be honest. With all that being said, I honestly think Billy Napier will be successful at Florida, but let me slow down here first. I also said this about Dan Mullen, and I was uh, almost correct, and I I think a lot of us said the same thing when Dan Mullen got here. Dan Mullen's attitude and approach changed from 20 to 21. That was the big deal. If he would have kept that 2018 to 2019 approach, I I think he would still be here at the University of Florida, but... Very lazy recruiter, didn't want to go out there, didn't want to... I mean, he just got really lazy towards the end. And he also wasn't this organized from a structural standpoint. And let's be honest here, he also had a bit of an ego. <laughs> so he thought, you know, he could just outdevelop everybody. That's just not how it works. You got to get the best players. Uh, you, you don't see that with Billy Napier, though, whatsoever. Of course, on-field results will have to match recruiting as well. We saw this with Will Muschamp back in the day. Top five classes every year. But losing records with the exception of 2012, the 2012 season with the nasty defense that we had, uh, I, I honestly, to me, honestly think Billy Napier is the guy. I will revisit this statement in three to four years, though. SEC's just a different animal, but I don't honestly think Napier will have trouble recruiting in the state of Florida with the way that his mentality is and, and the, the way that he, you know, develops players and asks for tape and demands so much from the players, which is it's what you want. You want somebody that's going to drive you to be the best player that you can be. You get to the NFL that way. Now let's look at what the recruiting classes looked like before Napier took over at Louisiana Lafayette. In 2014, Louisiana Lafayette was sixth in the Sun Belt with an average player ranking of .7672. 2015, number one in the Sun Belt, average player ranking .8017. 2016, fifth in the Sun Belt, average player ranking of .7846. 2017, ninth in the Sun Belt, average player ranking of 0.7852. So over those four years, I'm, I compare that to Napier's four years they had at Louisiana Lafayette. They had an average player ranking of 0.7846 over four years. So insert Billy Napier here. From 2018 to 2021, Billy Napier's transition class ranked fifth in the Sun Belt. But then he would have the number one class in the Sun Belt from 2019 to 2021. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, his average player ranking over those four years was 0.8207. He improved the average player ranking at Lafayette in those four years, 0.0361. That's actually huge. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you compare it on the 24-7 sports composite, it's, it's actually a lot. Now let's look at Florida's average over the past four years under Mullen. From 2018 to 2021, Dan Mullen hit right at the 0.90 area, 0.905. Most teams that are in that national title hunter around the .92 range or above, like your Ohio State's, Georgia's, Alabama's, Clemson's, etc. If Billy Napier can come in and take that average of .90 and improve that average player ranking like he did at Louisiana Lafayette by .361 or even just .02 of what Mullen did with his .90 average player ranking, we're talking national championship of playoff caliber classes. Like, if you look at the Georgias, you look at the Alabamas, you look at the Texas A&Ms, now... I will say this, Alabama's recruiting class this year has an average player ranking of 0.95. That is crazy. That is ridiculous. They have the highest average player ranking in the SEC. And But you look at that, though, most, if you do your research, because Bill Sykes is really good at doing his research on this, if you look 0.92 and above, those averages, player ranking averages, 
are usually in the national title hunt or win national championships or in the playoff hunt. So if Billy Napier could just do what he did at Lafayette at the University of Florida, we'll be competing for playoff spots, probably beating Georgia every now and then, or probably beating the pants off of Georgia, depending on how he coaches and how they recruit. If he could do that, though, you'll be beating these teams that you're not supposed to lose to, like the Kentuckys or struggling against Vanderbilt or, you know, struggling against Missouri, losing Missouri, losing to South Carolina, you're going to blow those teams out. That's what you're going to do if you out-recruit like that. So you're not going to have to worry about those teams, and then you'll be able to compete with the Georgias, the LSUs, the, I guess this year would be Texas A&M. We have them on our schedule again, which is crazy to me because I think we've had Texas A&M on our schedule for like the past three out of four years or something crazy like that. It's, it's nuts. But, yeah, you know, improving the average player ranking just like that you're you're talking top five classes so we'll see what happens when billy napier comes here to campus but it's another food for thought thing but that'll do it man that'll wrap it up episode two of getting swamp special shout out there to the youtube subscribers now i finally got the youtube page out up there so a special shout out to you guys and uh twitter followers facebook followers all you guys man wasn't for you i wouldn't even be doing this i'd be kicking rocks outside or uh you know Playing in traffic. No, I wouldn't be doing that. But uh, there's enough traffic in Atlanta for me to play in every day on the morning commute to work. So <laughs> definitely don't want to play in Atlanta traffic, guys. It's the worst. But yeah, a special shout out to you guys. And special shout out to Zach Goodall from Sports Illustrated taking time out of his busy day to discuss 2022, the National Signing Day, and 2023 prospects in the state of Florida. Very, very, very loaded, talented uh, at wide receiver and running back there in the state of Florida for this year. But that'll wrap it up, man. That will wrap it up for episode two of Getting Swamped, your latest in college football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.